Well, good morning. Why don't you open up your Bibles again to 2 Kings 22. This morning, we're actually going to take a look at the whole story of Josiah. So we'll be jumping uh, into chapter 23 as well a little bit later on. So it'll be good to keep it open in front of you as we do that. Uh, but before we begin, let, let me pray and ask for, for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. And we thank you that you're still speaking to us through it today. Lord, right now in this moment, would you help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives? And Lord, as I preach, would you help me? Lord, please don't let me put my words in your mouth. But Lord, would you speak clearly through your word this morning? And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I grew up in a Baptist church back home in Northern Ireland, and when I was young, our pastor was a man called John Shearer. Many of you might know him. He was pastor over in Musselburgh for quite a while. Now, John is great, and one of the things he used to do in my old church was produce a little A5 sheet for the young people, and that sheet was a worksheet, and it related to his sermon. And we were supposed to fill it out while he was preaching. And the idea was you would fill in the missing words from John's points. Maybe there'd be a few questions you had to answer. So you had to listen really carefully to fill the sheet out. And looking back, it was a pretty good idea. But I'm not going to lie to you. I absolutely hated them. Because it meant you had to listen in church. You had to pay attention to the sermon and what God had to say. And at that point in my life, as an awkward 10-year-old, I'm sorry to say that I didn't really want to do that. I didn't really have an interest in what God had to say. So I devised a cunning plan. If you didn't get a sheet, you didn't have to fill in a sheet, and then you didn't have to listen. But the problem was, our Sunday school teachers were so on the ball, they always made sure we got a sheet before the service. So here's what I used to do. The building we were in at the time had an old, unused corridor with a side entrance that no one came in around the side of the building. And I used to sneak in there, lift up this big mat that was at the side door for people to dry their feet on, and I used to shove my sheet under the mat. That's what I used to do, job done. And I would go back and sit with my mum, and she'd say, where's your sheet? And I'd say, teacher didn't give me one. And I got away with that for ages. I thought I was so, so clever. I even let one or two of my pals in on the act. But one day, my devious scheme was exposed. Our Sunday school superintendent was a teacher. And teachers have got like the sixth sense, don't they? Like they always know when something's not quite right. And now this woman was lovely, really lovely. But as a child, she was absolutely terrifying. She laid down the law. And one day she knew I was up to something. And she followed me into that corridor, and she caught me in the act. She literally found me holding up the mat to put the sheet underneath it. And then she found a year's supply of little white sheets stuffed under the mat. Dozens of sermons that I wasn't listening to. Months and months of ignoring God's word. And she went through the roof. And I've never had a telling off like it in my life. 
She was so angry because I was ignoring something that was so important. And when she told my parents, they were even more cross. And let's just say I got the punishment that I deserved. Now, I'm telling you this story from my childhood because in the decades before Josiah became king of Judah, the kings before him had been shoving God's word under the mat. Not unlike many people in our society today, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want God to have a say in how they lived or how they should tell the people that they should live. So they deliberately lost the Bible. They ignored what God had to say. To give you some of the backstory, you may know that when King Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel was split north and south. And about 100 years before Josiah comes along, the north of Israel had become so evil, so despicable, that God allowed them to be taken over by the Assyrians. So only Judah was left. But Judah was going the same way as their northern neighbors. And in 2 Kings 21, just the chapter before the chapter we read, we read about Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was the most extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile king that Judah ever had. He led the entire nation into sin and idolatry. And it's under Manasseh's reign that the book of the law gets lost. It gets filed away somewhere in the temple and forgotten about. And things were so bad under Manasseh that God said, I've had enough. God said in chapter 21, I'm going to wipe Jerusalem like you would wipe a dish. I'm going to wipe it, then I'm going to turn it upside down. So we know that God's judgment isn't far away. And as we read this story, we need to do so knowing that God's judgment is coming. There isn't much time before God takes them into exile in Babylon. And in fact, that happens in chapter 24. After Manasseh came Josiah's dad, Ammon, but he wasn't much better. In fact, he was so evil and horrible to be around that even his own servants assassinated him. And when they did, Josiah becomes king at just eight years old. So when we start reading this, the story about Josiah, if you've been reading through the book of Second Kings, you would be forgiven for thinking that the apple isn't going to fall far from the tree. After growing up in a royal court like that, we expect Josiah to be another rotten apple. You'd expect him just to pick up where his grandfather and his father left off. But as we read earlier, and as we'll see again as we work through the text, that wasn't the case. Now, as we look at the story of Josiah over these two chapters, I want to draw out three things that we learn about how we should respond to God's Word. And the first response to God's Word I want you to notice is this. We need to hear God's Word and humble ourselves. We need to hear God's Word and humble ourselves. So the writer of 2 Kings begins his coverage of Josiah's reign 18 years after he became king. And the first, the first thing he wants us to see is this significant moment when the book of the law is found again. Unlike his father and his grandfather, we hear that Josiah is a king who, who does do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So naturally, he's ordered some repair work to be done in the temple after his grandfather made such a hash of it. And so he sends his secretary, Shaphan, to make sure that the joiners and the carpenters and all the workers are getting 
their, their wages and all the money they need to go and buy the raw materials that they're going to use in the temple. But when Shaphan arrives, Hilkiah the high priest walks out and tells him that during the repairs, the book of the law has been found. And Shaphan reads it. Now, this book of the law that they found was more than likely the book of Deuteronomy. And we know that because in Deuteronomy, the phrase, this book of the law, comes up all the time. And it only comes up in Deuteronomy, in the Pentateuch. And the fact that this book is the book of Deuteronomy is significant. Because Deuteronomy is really uncomfortable reading if you're a king. It's said that kings weren't allowed to acquire lots of wealth. They weren't allowed to have lots of wives. They were supposed to write out by hand a copy of the law, read it every day of their life, and keep every word of it. In Deuteronomy, kings are held to a really high standard. So Shaphan goes back to Josiah to let him know he sorted out all the money, and he just drops it in the conversation that this book has been found. And I want you to notice two things in the text at this point. The first thing is that Josiah doesn't ignore God's word. Josiah doesn't ignore God's word. Look with me again to verse 10. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read, it, read from it in the presence of the king. Josiah could have easily told Shaphan to get lost. An old book found in the temple by the high priest. It's not going to be fun reading for the king of Judah in its current state. You know, that's like a parent finding a school report after their child hid it in the recycling bin. You know, there's a reason they hid it out of sight. Because they knew they weren't doing very well. They didn't want to face up to it. Josiah would have known or had a fair idea what this book was going to be. He could have easily just have had Hilkiah locked up for passing on such a disturbing and controversial book, or done the same to Shaphan for having the audacity to read it in front of him. Most kings would have said, I don't want to hear it. Whatever is in that book is not going to end well for me. But Josiah allows Shaphan to read the book. He doesn't ignore God's word. He wants to hear what God has to say. And the second thing to notice in the text is that Josiah takes God's word seriously and repents. Look with me again to verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. And again to verse 13. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So when he hears God's word, Josiah is deeply concerned. He's so upset that he tears his clothes. They didn't have pre-mark in those days. Clothes weren't mass-produced. So they took a lot more time, a lot more money to make. So in that culture, if you tore your clothes, you were damaging your most important and expensive possessions. And people did it to reflect on the outside a real deep inner emotional pain or grief on the inside. And Josiah is so upset that he tears his clothes because he knows that the wrath of God has been kindled against Judah for not obeying his law. God's word provokes him to fear the Lord. The penny has dropped that the entire nation has ignored God's word and it's about to face God's judgment. So what does he do? Well, he does what, what most leaders might do in a time of national crisis. He wants an expert opinion 
so that they know what they're dealing with. He immediately sends his inner circle to Huldah, the prophetess, to inquire of the Lord, not just for him, but for all the people. Josiah urgently, urgently wants to know if God is really going to wipe them out. He needs to know if it's too late. And Huldah says, well, do you want the good news or the bad news? The bad news is, you're not wrong. God is angry that Judah have not been living according to the book of the law. And it is too late. God has made up his mind and he's not going to turn back from his wrath. But there is a little bit of good news. If you look with me again to verse 18 and 19. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Josiah heard God's word and his heart responded to it. He repented of his sin and he humbled himself. He took God's word seriously. So God says to him in verse 20, your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. God's going to wait for Josiah to die before he puts Jerusalem through the dishwasher. There's going to be a little bit of injury time added on, a little bit of Josiah time before the Babylonians come and drag Judah off into exile. Now, as we think about how this applies to us today, we need to see that Josiah provides a model for how we should approach God's word. We need to ask ourselves if our hearts are responsive to the word of God. We're going to know that our hearts are responsive to God's word if we're taking time to read it. If we're coming to it regularly with a humble and repentant heart, ready to be changed by it. That's the heart that God wants us to come to his word with. And when we do that, God promises to shape us and change us by the power of his spirit like he changed Josiah. If you have lost that heart, maybe you need to rediscover God's word again. If God's word is gathering dust in your house, just like it was gathering dust in the temple, ask him this morning for a fresh love for his word. Ask him to soften your heart again to what he has to say to you. Or maybe there's a particular area of your life where you need to rediscover God's word. Maybe there's a particular chapter or verse you've stuffed under the mat because you don't like it. It feels irrelevant. It doesn't fit with your thinking or your lifestyle, so you've chosen to ignore it. Maybe you've even started listening more to what culture has to say than what God's Word has to say, and so you've actually started to be quite tempted to go to a church that explains away or ignores parts of the Bible that aren't accepted by our culture. If that's something like that for you this morning, then the message of this chapter is really clear. God wants us to hear his words and to humble ourselves before it. He wants us to stop ignoring his word and to repent. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And that means as Christians, we are called, all called to live by all of his words. Reading God's words is not like making a Subway sandwich where you pick and choose what you want. It's all God's special revelation of who he is 
And so if we're going to take him seriously, we need to humble ourselves and take his word seriously. Maybe that's not you this morning, and actually you've never discovered God's word. You've never heard what God has to say to you. Why don't you start reading the Bible? We'd love to give you one, show you where to start. God's word is truth. It is living and active. The book of Hebrews says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So fair warning, it will challenge you. It's not comfortable reading all the time. It tells us things about ourselves that we don't like to hear. But it's also the way that the God of heaven has chosen to reveal himself to us. God wants to show you what he has done to save you. How he has shown his love for you by giving up his own son to die on a cross and rise again from the dead. So that like Josiah in this story, you too can avoid God's wrath if you repent and turn from your sin. If that's you this morning, come and speak to me at the end. I'd love to chat. I'd love to give you a Bible. But let's move on with our story. We've seen that, we've seen Josiah's response to finding God's word again shows us that we need to hear God's word and humble ourselves. The second response we should have to God's word is this. We need to share God's word because God uses it to transform people. I wonder if you've ever left an exam knowing you failed it. I left my maths A-level knowing I'd failed it. And I knew I'd failed it because after chatting to a friend on the way out, uh, I quickly realized I'd left out two questions on the back page. Not great. Um, and yeah, results day came and I didn't get into the university I wanted. All I could do was just accept the consequences of my failure. And it totally demotivated me from studying for a while. In the end, it took a gap year. Um, but when Josiah read the book of the law, he was pretty sure that Judah had failed. He was sure they had failed to live by God's standards. And when he got the remark back from Huldah the prophetess, his fears were confirmed. Things are not looking good. Judah have failed to keep God's law. They haven't met God's requirements. In fact, they've done the opposite of what God wanted. And the consequences, according to Huldah's prophecy, were that they were going to become a curse. They were going to be laid waste. So Josiah knows they failed. He knows it's too late. We might think it's too far gone. There's no point trying to change things in Judah now. Josiah just has to accept the consequences. But he sees things differently. He desperately wants to fix the nation, even though he knows that Judah have already failed and he can do nothing to change the consequences. So rather than leave the people in sin and idolatry, Josiah shares God's word with the people. And this is where we're going to go into chapter 23. So please uh, turn there with me now. And we're going to look at the first three verses. Let me read them for you. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. God's judgment is certain, but even still, 
Josiah doesn't keep God's word to himself. He still longs for the people of Judah to obey God's words, not because he thinks he can change God's mind, but because he loves God and wants to honor him. He wants the people to leave their idols behind and worship God because only God is worthy of their worship. And so he gathers all the people, small and great, everyone who lived in Judah, to the temple. That would have been some amount of people. Imagine all of Edinburgh gathered to the Usher Hall to hear the Bible being read. That would give you a kind of idea of what this would have been like. And when they're all gathered together, Josiah reads the book of the law out loud to the people. And when they hear God's word, the people respond. They all decide that they want to follow God's law again. Like Josiah, they're convicted by God's word. So they join with Josiah to renew the covenant. They want to recommit to keeping God's commands. And the next thing we see in the text is spectacular. The entire nation is transformed by Josiah's reforms. Josiah leads the charge in bringing the entire nation in line with the book of the law. We're not going to have time to read it this morning, but in the next 21 verses in chapter 23, we're given a massive list of everything that Josiah did to reform the nation of Judah. He basically brings in a massive demonification program throughout the land. Uh, let me give you some of the highlights. He desecrates all the idols in Israel, starting with the ones in the temple so they can't be used again for idol worship. Then he removes and destroys all the idols in people's homes. He permanently prevents places of idol worship and sacrifice from being used as pagan hotspots. He even goes to the northern kingdom and cleanses the northern kingdom too. And he brings back the Passover because there hasn't been a Passover festival kept in Israel since the days of the judges. And the writer gives us this big long list to show that what Josiah did was really significant. The entire nation was recreated. Imagine what it would be like if all the old church buildings in Scotland that are used as nightclubs, apartments, shops, climbing centers, imagine they were restored to being places of worship again. I'm filled with people worshiping God. Imagine if the government did a total 180 and started mandating for the Bible to be taught in schools instead of the stuff they're currently pushing for. Imagine if the BBC had a Christian agenda and started showing Christian programs. That would just give you a small taste of the turnaround that's happened in Judah. This was totally incredible. The entire nation was transformed. Now, we're not Josiah, and while we should pray for reformation in our society, we aren't in a position to make changes like that. But what we can do is follow the model he provides for what we should do with God's Word. We live in a society that is increasingly ignoring God's Word and writing it off as irrelevant, aren't we? The Bible has been lost in many churches, and the result is our nation is becoming further and further away from God. We need the same urgency for the people around us that Josiah had when he heard that Judah was about to face God's judgment. We know God's judgment is certain, but we don't get to decide that anyone is too far gone or beyond the reach of God's grace. 
Just as Josiah was compelled to share God's word with the people, we need the same urgency to share God's word with the people around us. And the massive encouragement to remember here is that our God has the power to transform people. And he uses his word to do it. God, by the power of his spirit, uses his word to bring people to him and transform them into the likeness of his son. There is no one small or great that's outside his reach. What does sharing God's word look like in our lives? Well, it means seeking to use whatever influence we do have to share God's word with the people around us. None of us have the influence Josiah did. We can't call the whole of Edinburgh to come and meet us at the Usher Hall to listen to what we have to say. But we all do have people we can influence colleagues, friends, family. How can we share God's word with them? Maybe that looks like asking someone if they'd like to read the Bible with you. Why not this morning identify someone in your life who might be open to exploring what the Bible has to say and ask them to read it with you. And as a church, this looks like making sure we don't lose the Bible, doesn't it? Let's keep making sure that all we do is governed by what God has to say to us in his words. Let's keep making sure that sharing God's word with the people around us is our priority in every ministry that we run. Let's keep training people up and being trained up to be people who are equipped for ministering God's word in the people's lives. That's how we're going to change society. When God uses his church to bring his word to the lost, then he transforms them by his spirit. Let's not forget what God can do. Let's keep praying that God would transform our society as we hold out his word. Okay, so let's keep going uh, with the story. We've seen that we need to hear God's word and humble ourselves. We need to share God's word because God uses it to transform people. The final response we need to have to God's word is this. We need to put our trust in Christ alone. We need to put our trust in Christ alone. So Josiah has totally reformed the nation. He's gone to war against idolatry and paganism and done all that he could to get people living under the law and worshiping God again. Under his leadership, Judah has become a completely different place. It's completely transformed. We might be tempted to think, there's still a chance that Judah could be saved. Surely God is going to relent for Judah like he did for Josiah. Well, look with me to verse 25 to 27 and let's find out. Verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I remove Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said my name shall be there. After we read about everything Josiah and the people had done to change their ways. Those verses hit us like a ton of bricks. We don't get a happy ending. After all, the people made a covenant with God that they would follow all of his commands. 
After that great big long list of everything Josiah did to get rid of evil and idolatry in the land, after all that Judah had got right, God will still not turn from his great wrath. It's not long until Josiah dies. We don't even get to the end of chapter 24 before King Nebuchadnezzar comes and lays siege to Jerusalem. He takes all the treasure and gold in the temple. He captures 10,000 people and hauls them off into exile. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, I think there's a key detail we need to notice in those verses that we've just read. Even though this generation repented of their ways and walked in obedience, God's fierce anger still burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. Josiah did everything a human being could do. He turned to the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength. He kept all the law of Moses. But that wasn't enough to atone for generations of sin. It wasn't enough to appease God. Josiah was the best king they ever had. Before them, there was, there was no other king that was as righteous or as zealous for God's law. But he was still a total failure. He could do nothing to deal with God's wrath against all the sin and evil that had taken place in Judah. The people of Judah needed something greater than their own human efforts to make them right with God and to avert his wrath. They needed a savior, a greater king who would come and be able to avert God's wrath against sin once and for all. And that's the ultimate lesson that the story of Josiah teaches us. There is only one person who can deal with the wrath we deserve for our sin and make us right with God. And that person is Jesus Christ. We could all clean up our act. We could try and fix all the areas of our lives where we, we know we've sinned against God. We could make sure we're always at church and read our Bibles every day. We could get involved in all sorts of Christian work. We could promise to do every single thing the Bible says for the rest of our lives. But ultimately, that wouldn't save us. We are completely incapable of fixing our broken relationship with God ourselves. It's too late. We've already fallen short of the glory of God. We've already by our very nature rebelled against God. None of us have lived the way God wants us to, and as a consequence, we deserve God's wrath. But the wonderful, wonderful news is that God knew there was nothing we could do to avert his wrath. In his grace, he decided that we wouldn't all have to face his wrath. And even more graciously, he chose to deal with his wrath for sin himself. And even more graciously, he chose that he would send his only son to live the life that we should have lived. A life fully obedient to the Father. And God chose that he would be sacrificed on the cross. And in, in doing so, he would take the punishment that we deserved. Jesus would take God's wrath upon himself so that those who believe in him and trust in that sacrifice could be made right with God again. We hear all the time that God is good and that God is love. And of course he is. He loves us so much that he graciously provided a way for us to be saved. But what we don't like to think about is that God is also severe. He's a holy God. And he doesn't let sin go unpunished. The penalty for our sin and rebellion against him has to be paid. 
If you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, if you're still trying to be a good person, trying to store up enough credit to go to the right place when you die, I have to tell you that that's not going to happen. We are either under sin, under wrath, or we're under God's grace. We either trust that our sin is dealt with by Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross and accept God's grace, or we will have to pay the penalty for our sin ourselves when Christ returns. And those who choose that option, those who reject Christ and reject God's grace, they get what they want. They'll get an eternity without Him. They'll spend eternity in hell. And the story of Josiah, it points us forward to that day when Christ will return to judge the earth. When Christ comes back, He will do Josiah-like work across the whole earth. It's going to be a day of refining, purifying, avenging, dividing. Evil will be completely removed and destroyed. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that. Put your trust in Christ before it's too late. And if you want to do that this morning, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. I'd love to help you do that. And if you are a Christian, what a joy it is this morning to know a king much greater than Josiah, isn't it? We have a king who will one day fully and perfectly reform this world into a new creation forever. All of us who are under his grace, all of us who have trusted in Christ, we know that we will spend eternity in the joy of that new creation that is perfectly and permanently reformed. There will be a day when there will be no more sin, no more evil, no more suffering, no more pain, and we will spend eternity in the joy of his presence. If you've been putting putting off sharing God's word with others, as it says in Romans 10, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Let's remember that eternity is at stake and long for the people around us to be with us in that new creation. Maybe God is laying someone on your heart this morning. Why not ask him for an opportunity to open his word with them? Or maybe you have been putting God's word under the mat. If you're feeling convicted about that, Remember that God is a God of grace. He is quick to forgive all those who come to him in humility and repentance. Remember who God's word is all about. Remember what Christ did to rescue you from your sin and to provide a place for you in his perfectly reformed heavenly kingdom. Humbly come to him in repentance and open your heart to his transforming word again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is powerful. It is powerful to save us by your Spirit, to change us, to transform us into the likeness of your Son. And Lord, would you help us to always come to it with the right heart, in humility, with reverence and repentance. And Lord God, would you give us a boldness and a desire to share it? Lord, we pray for those in our lives who don't know you. Would you give us opportunities to open up your word with them? And Lord, above all, we want to thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have a Savior who can atone for sin, who can make us right with you. 
Lord, thank you so much. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.